When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the DNVR Avalanche Podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Use code DNVR when you sign up for a new account to get amazing odds boost every single day. Rudo, Jesse, Megan, AJ coming at you live. We'll talk about some history of the Avs, some throwback stuff of the Avs, some key moments in Avs. Well, I, I guess is it a little bit more than the last decade? We're going back to the O'Reilly offer sheet. Um, but we'll get to that in just a second. Obviously, the news from yesterday. Phil Kessel signing a $1.5 by $1 million, well, $1.5 million by one year dollar deal uh, with the Vegas Golden Knights. Does this move the needle at all? No, but it made me sad because I like Phil Thrill's way too dope to be playing for Vegas. Just as an individual. A collective attitude I saw across hockey Twitter is people rallying around Phil Kessel and feeling protective of him going to this organization. And it was kind of endearing to see how much the hockey community likes Phil Kessel. I felt protective of him too. Yep. Cool. Um, Good for them. (laughs) It does. I agree with you guys. Phil, Phil the throw rules. Everybody loves Phil. It sucks that he's going to the franchise everyone loves to hate. Should have seen that coming because the universe likes to do things like that to us. So, I uh, I tweeted something about it yesterday. I was like, oh my God, I hate that. Someone replied, they're like, what is it that you don't like? That he's going to a conference rival? The term they got him at? Do you want the abs to do it? I was like, oh no, I just... I just think Phil Kessel's dope and he's going to <laughs> I like Phil. Yeah. <laughs> Don't like Vegas. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it has literally nothing. To, all those legitimate hockey reasons you just listed. Yeah. None of that. I just think he's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, from a, from a hockey perspective, uh, I don't think it does a lot for him. He's pretty, he's pretty beaten up at this point. Um, you know, we'd love to believe that a, that a motivated Phil Kessel is locked in and will actually try on defense. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how much he can help. He can still produce a little offensively. That's so he should help their depth out a bit. But if he's if he does not show up in a more meaningful way uh, in the two way game, everything yeah. everything that he produces, he'll give back. Well, and that's where two things on this one. First of all, that like is Bruce Cassidy going to absolutely hate Bill Kessel? Uh, that was my. That was the first thing I said to Z when she was like, "Bill Kessel signed in Vegas," and I was like, oh, oh, "Oh, Bruce Cassidy's gonna hate that." Yeah. <laughs> so there's that, and secondly, they need a goaltender. They have to pay a goaltender at some yeah. point. They yeah. they said they were gonna start with. Uh, they said that they were gonna start with Thompson and uh, Prosois. Okay, Vegas, do you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I actually see this. To AJ's point, I don't think it'll end up being in like any meaningful way because I think there will be a lot going back the other way. 
but I actually see this as a, like for Phil Kessel specifically, I think this could actually be a sweet little gig for him. Uh, cause yeah, I, I imagine they're going to stick him in that bottom six and they're going to be like, cool, just rip pucks from the wall. And I'll bet you he'll put up some points. He'll score some goals. And it'll be one of those things where you'll look at his stat line and Vegas fans will feel really good about it. Cause he'll, you know, he'll put up a bunch of points and stuff, but to AJ's point, like, I don't really think it'll mean anything. Like they'll just be like, they will be highlights and that's really about it. It's Phil Kessel. There are always highlights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess, I guess the goal scoring dr- dried up a bit for him last year though. Eh? Yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those ones where uh, that's, that's one of those lines where you're like, Oh, is, is the guy just washed or is it that he shot 4%, which is <laughs> right. like by far the lowest of his career. Just not giving a shoot. Full, not giving a shoot. Yeah, like way. he's not like an elite shooter. Uh, you know, he's a career ten point eight percent shooter. So it's like, okay, if he gets back to ten, and the eight goals that he goes uh, that he scored last year turns into, uh, 16, I don't know, yeah. like yeah, like sixteen. Uh, okay, that's fine. Uh, but does he? Is there a drop off in assists? Is he any good at even strength? And again, does he play any defense at all? <laughs> like if you're like, oh well, he scored 16 goals. Vegas would take that, but the question is all those other aspects of it, which is probably why Phil Kessel was still a free agent on August 24th. Sat out there for as long as he did. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, the question then is, would he you rather be in uh, Vegas or Arizona? Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, from from his perspective, oh, totally. It was interesting, his presser, he said that uh, he wanted to be on a team that was competing, and that's why he ended up in Vegas, which makes me wonder, because he said he had a couple of other options, but he prioritized winning, and that took him to Vegas. And so I'm like, did you you really not have a single other offer from a competitive team? Was it all the, like, Buffalo and Arizona, you know, the like the Chicago, you know, like the bottom feeders that are trying oh, to trade sure him at the deadline. Yeah. Like, is it, was that like exclusively the teams that had offers other than Vegas who was like, well, we have all this extra LTIR money now with Robin Leonard out. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounds like it was to me. I mean, also, even- a great example of why players wait because. Yeah, Robin Leonard got announced to being out, and that's money. You know, opens that up for them. It, yeah. I I do wonder, and you know, to be fair, he just went through <clears throat> playing a season in Arizona where he didn't get traded at the deadline, so maybe he was trying to avoid something like that again. Um, but it it seems like, especially at the price point he signed, some team would have picked him up at the deadline for a playoff push of some kind. Oh, they wait, probably wait. still will when Vegas misses the post. <laughs> what were you saying? Wait, he was trying to avoid what, Rudo? Last year, he got stuck in Arizona. They didn't move him at the deadline. So oh. by yeah. going directly to Vegas, trying to avoid that they... situation again. If there's one thing you can <laughs> trust Vegas for, it's that they'll trade you without even thinking twice about it. <laughs> you won't have to worry about, won't have to worry about that. 
quite a quite a wild story about him getting stuck in Arizona because they ran out of retained transactions. Yeah. Retaining too many salaries. Yeah, they they had their max slot of salary retention already and were like they chose to they chose the Johan Larson deal to Washington over anything that they were getting for Phil Kessel. And Johan Larson is now in Europe. So really, really kind of drives home the quality of offers that he not only the, the the Coyotes were getting for him at the deadline, but then carrying over into the summer. It sounds like this is the only competitive team offering him a deal. Oof. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he really kind of like, I don't know if this is the right, he kind of archetypes as that kind of person at this point in his career, right? Like, and like, if you're Phil Kessel, you have two cups, You've scored 30 goals a few times, had a couple all-star games. Like, I think it's hilarious that he's Arizona, then Vegas. Like, this dude's just chilling at the end of his career. And I don't know. I, I think that's just kind of how teams are looking at him. Like, yeah, you're not Phil Kessel from seven years ago. You're come hang out and find the best Philly cheesesteak in town in downtown Denver, Phil Kessel. And that's cool, too. Like an Asian pop that- star. Doing yeah. residency in Vegas, an aging hockey star. Yeah. Doing residency in Vegas. Perfect. And like, I don't know. Phil Kessel just looks like a retired hockey star that would live in Vegas. You know what I mean? <laughs> like even after his career, like that just looks he like did. he looked like that when he was 24. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like that's just a dude that like you would you would picture just out on the golf course, just hammered drunk in Vegas. Wearing his Stanley Cup rings out there while he drives, like just he just seems like the best time in Vegas makes sense. <laughs> okay, I'll take your your guys' word for it. I don't know what the average person from Vegas looks like, so like Phil Kessel. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, the actual topic of the day was getting into some Avs history here because I think we've talked a ton about the acquisitions that the Avs have made in season in winning the Stanley Cup. We've, we've talked about Lekkanen. We've talked about the deadline with adding guys like Manson, even guys like Cogliano. We haven't talked in depth about some of the building blocks and the stories of how the Avs got to where they are. Now, one of those building blocks isn't a building block at all. Uh, at one point, thought to be one of the core pieces of the team, but Ryan O'Reilly, uh, in a world where instead of the Avs matching Calgary's offer sheet in the lockout year, uh, well, post, yeah, yeah, lockout year, and they, they played 48 games. Uh, what if the Avs just didn't match? What if Ryan O'Reilly goes probably not even to Calgary, goes on to waivers and someone claims him? But Calgary gives a first, second, and a third. It was Columbus. They were first in line okay, for there you go. the free shot at Ryan O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> so, assuming that the league allowed that to actually go through uh, like that, and Calgary just gave away their first-round pick <laughs> and uh, did not get Ryan O'Reilly because... I'm not going to assume that Calgary with Ryan O'Reilly is going to be in, you know, finish in the same exact spot. But because they would have lost him on waivers, they wouldn't have gotten the guy anyway. So 
I think it's an interesting because they had the sixth pick that year. And that was, as we've seen, a draft class they've put a lot of stock into as first round players, uh, first round picks from that draft to play for the Avs include obviously McKinnon. There's a lot. Uh, but then you go down 10th overall pick, Val Nachushkin, uh played for them. 16th overall pick, Nikita Zadorov played for them. Uh, and then you get into Andre Burakovsky also, and even Marco Dano in that very <laughs> short time that they claimed him off waivers. When that so, kid was a rookie, I thought he was going to be so sick. Yeah, so they had, uh, they, they've had eyes on that, that draft class. Um, so what what would have happened with with that pick? Because Calgary Calgary took Sean Monahan, and early on in Sean Monahan's career, that looked like a great pick. Like so he out he out he outscored uh, he outscored Nathan McKinnon through the first like four years of their career. Something Sean Monahan was more productive player, and it was like wow, look at this. Uh, that's obviously changed. So would that would that have been, you know, Colorado, would they have gone in there and said, hey, we're going to take Sean Monaghan? I mean, would it just have been a one-for-one? One? But the guy, you could also say, hey, they could have drafted, at the time, they didn't have any, you know, foundational defensemen. Uh, a young, like their Chris Begraw was their, was a guy that they took in the second round that year and became one of their top prospects. Um. Uh, you know, they. I guess they had Duncan Siemens that they had drafted in 2011, but would they have drafted Ooh. another defenseman? Because Darnell Nurse and Rasmus Ristolainen went with the picks immediately following Sean Monahan. Let's just have them take Nikita Zadorov at six, and there's no spiraling. Everything just plays out exactly the same. <laughs> the timeline yeah. doesn't change <laughs> the at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so they did. did JT Comfort just ends up a Buffalo Saver then. Yeah, that's the, that's and, the only difference. <laughs> and gets guy. gets gets moved at some point uh, later on uh, by by Tim Murray and his desperate need to shortcut that rebuild that he started. <laughs> but no, to to actually get into it, there are a number of different ways that could have gone right, and and. If you do remember all the way back then, Sean Monahan was one of the oldest players in that draft class. Like he was a couple days from being an overager in that draft class. So some people even had him outside of the top 10. Uh, so very, very easily could have been a, a different draft pick there, whether it be, you know, nurse for the or, or a forward there. It should be noted that that was before, in 2013, that was still before the Avs really had ventured outside of North America a lot. Yeah. Uh, and they really weren't they really weren't digging into Russia at all. So I don't think that, oddly enough, I don't think Nichushkin would have been the guy. Uh, just because of where their staff was at the time and where they were focused on drafting. Um Nurse, I think Nurse is probably the likely pick there, but the other guy that I think that they that would have gotten a lot of argument would have been Bo Horvat. Yeah, at the time too, I'm, London was an absolute machine at producing NHL players, which Horvat played for. Yeah, so, but 
And that's that that could change. I mean, that could have been a big change because Zadorov, Comfer, like, okay, but what if they've had McKinnon and, and Horvat there? How much how much does that change their approach in the draft in subsequent years? How much does that how much does that does that speed up? Uh that version of the build, yeah. Yeah, does that does does him actually hitting uh that in and becoming a guy, does that speed up? Um, a Duchesne deal, or does it change? Like, we don't we don't know the transformation that happens there because, like, they did okay in the O'Reilly deal. Like, Zadorov and Comfer was fine, right? Like, yep, it's okay. I I don't know. Like, I think it changes way more if they go with Nurse, right? Like, throughout the entire mid 2010s, the Avs just wallowed with a defense that couldn't do anything. Um. And if you get Darnell Nurse, I mean, I don't even know if we can calculate how much of a difference that makes at that point, how different everything gets approached over the next handful of years for Colorado. Right. Well, and, and it's, I mean, we've had the conversation. I don't necessarily know if it's been on the show or not, but I know we've had the conversation before. Had they taken Seth Jones? Like, forget even the Ryan O'Reilly stuff. Just like literally Seth Jones over Nathan McKinnon. That's not just, oh, you don't have Nathan McKinnon, you have Seth Jones. Like, that changes everything it's the same thing with this type of thing if you lose you lose o'reilly in this situation yeah you know you make the one pick maybe it's for the first round defenseman that changes the way you draft in the future it changes the way you seed um you know maybe you're this much better uh you know you're still not very good but you end up you know up one or two spots in the standings like it, it is i always think these are so fun because you talk about, oh, these names or whatever. And in your head, you just kind of like mentally add them to the current roster. But literally, like Ryan O'Reilly, them not matching that Ryan O'Reilly offer sheet changes like everything about the yeah. way that this organization looks today. Yeah, because then they would have had, in 2011, they had two picks in the top 11. 2013, they would have had two picks in the top six. And it's like, look, what if what if they do take Rasmus Ristolainen? You know, like if they blow that pick, then you're talking or they they they're getting nothing out of that. You know, and as much as as much as Zadorov did not become part of their core, he was an important role player on their revival, at least mm-hmm. on the other side of it. For the first you know? part of the come up, yeah, yeah, exactly, which was important. Like the first part of it's it should not be taken for granted or ignored the first the first couple of years where they got back to the postseason and were good because that was experience that they needed. They needed that taste of 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 Stanley Cup playoff hockey to to understand what it was about and how seriously you have to take it as an organization as a player. Your your whole attitude just has to be different because the first year that they were happy to be there. And the second year, they took it a little more seriously. Hey, we think we can win a round or two. And then after that, it got for real. Like, the, the temperature turned up really fast. And Zadorov and, and, and Comfer, really, both played important roles in getting the team back to that level. Uh, they weren't star players. But if they're gone, somebody has to take their place. And just given, given Colorado's pro scouting from back then, you, the... I don't. I don't have any confidence that 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 group was was going to be able to find adequate replacements. Well, and and honestly, like you know, I, I don't want to 
I don't want to overblow it here, but I also don't want to make sure that we're not understating it. Like, cause I agree that Nikita Zadorov was a, a big part of helping build this team back up. Cause he was, you know, he, he was a solid defenseman, which <laughs> they even went a stretch where they didn't have very many of those just solid guys on the back end. Uh, so, you know, he was big in terms of getting them back, helping with playoff experience, things that things like that. But like I said, I don't want to overdo it, but I mean like JT Comfort, not even just on this run, but over the last couple of playoffs, like, you know, we've joked about it. You won't hear from the dude for 20 games. And then he scores a huge goal with five seconds left to tie it or take the lead or something. It's like, cool. We haven't heard from this guy in two months. I mean, but he did it. Remember again. the postseason against Calgary game two in Calgary. He scores the game tying goal late in the third period. That sends yep. them into the overtime that they eventually won. Yep. But if he doesn't score that goal and they don't win that game, how different is Avalanche history? They maybe they nice. lose that series, maybe they win that series. I don't know, yep. but they don't win it going away the way that they did. Certainly, he he's also the one that broke the ice in Game Four when Mike Smith was standing on his head. JT Comfer is the one that broke through, allowed them to start the comeback uh, down to nothing. Then obviously, you know, he's got he's got some, he had some big goals on this last playoff run. So. Well, you know, maybe what he does as a whole is pretty replaceable if you don't end up making that trade. However you spin it, JT Confer, the guy that came back in the trade, has scored some big goals yeah. in Avs history and, and added a couple this year. You know, I'm thinking of the, uh, was it game uh, game three in Edmonton? Coming out of the box, scored yeah. on the breakaway. Ugly oh, goal, I mean, but... <laughs> game game six in, in St. Louis. He scored that third period goal. Yeah. Yep. Had a win against Edmonton, too. Yeah, two goals for Conference in that game. Uh, Megan, what are your thoughts? Nurse, Horvat, McKinnon, Seth Jones. <laughs> well, and I'm thinking about if this, um, if the Avs hadn't matched that offer sheet, it might have changed how Ryan O'Reilly's tenure at the end of his time in the Avs actually played out. Um, because I think the attitudes in the following year with arbitration and seeing a decline in his effort level for a player that was once running up and down Pepsi Center stairs sort of lose a little bit of faith in the organization in that next year. I think this would have allowed them to part ways on better terms. And for the storyline of it all, it, it might have played out in a way that benefited both parties more in the end. And we could just look back on our time with Ryan O'Reilly just fondly. It certainly would make waves of difference. I think the fan base would probably be a lot more upset with the team than with the player <laughs> if it ended with them just letting him go. But I, I mean, look, the Avs weren't the only team he lost his love of the game on for. I'll, I'll put it that way as Dude, well. That that interview that he did with Buffalo that year at yeah. the at the locker room cleanout was that was one of the strangest interviews I've ever seen. Real quick, just I I, I want to go back to JT Conver for two seconds. That comment. Uh, that flashed across the Confer uh, knocking uh, Evan Bouchard off the puck before going on that breakaway. That goal, I remember laughing to myself watching it because it really was like there were so many times throughout this playoffs where you you kind of realize like, whoa, this this Avs team is different than Avs teams in the past. You know, they're they're here, they're ready for this, they're up to the task, and that play was one of them. My dad and he's made me laugh because you know, like a lot of the people that listen to our show, follow us on Twitter. He gets very emotionally invested in the games, right? 
And he's told me for years, years, I had to listen to my dad. Oh, the abs, they get pushed around. They get bullied. They look like little guy, little boys out there getting pushed around by men, blah, 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 blah. And that play, I just remember laughing because JT Confer comes out of the box and literally just like punks Evan Bouchard, puts him on his ass and skates in on a breakaway. And I, I was just laughing because it's like this – and this is all part of this conversation of how far this team had come and the, the playoffs that they had to go through and learn and, and these different iterations of their team. And suddenly here's JT Comfer knocking guys, not only off the puck, but off, like off their skates to win a loose puck for a breakaway in the Western conference final. Uh, I just remember that being a, not only the goal, but that was just a really fun, fun play. That was a, that was a super fun game. Total side. Note, sorry. Can I, can I also mention this connection with this 2013 draft in the Avs organization is actually way deeper than I realized? Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. It's really weird, dude. So, like, we're talking about him. JT Confer was the 35th pick that season. Yep. Uh, but other guys to play for the Avs from that draft class, Ryan Graves, mm-hmm. Sven Andrigetto. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. That's fun. Okay. Um, you you might you you might remember he scored a couple of pretty big goals as well on that playoff run. Arturi Lekkinen is from that <laughs> is from that draft class. Wow. Yeah, and then um, you also I mentioned Marco Dano earlier, but newcomer Anton Bleed is from that draft class. Yeah. <sighs> and had a cup of coffee, beat the shit out of a guy in his brief appearance in Colorado, but Kyle Burrows. <laughs> also from that draft class. So this like guys that were drafted by somebody other than the Avs and, and Antoine Bebo was from this draft class. Uh, what? Two, three games with the Avs? One game? Uh, one, I believe. Two games. No, two it was games. two games. Oh, because I think one went really well and then he got his ass torched in the next one and it was like, oh, feel good story over. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, the I just thought it was as as like looking like looking down that list, I was like, wow, this is really weird. The abs are gonna trade for Jake Gensel, confirmed. <laughs> well, the next time that they get somebody, be like, was he drafted in twenty thirteen? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh okay. We are brought to you by the American Raptors. You can go over if you haven't been to Infinity Park in Glendale. You just straight up got to check the place out. It's a dope place to spend a night out. It's just kind of awesome. Uh, you did just miss the big rugby tournament the other weekend, but you can still get out there and experience the park, experience the American Raptors, which is a rugby team that has taken players from all other sports that played at the highest level and have converted them to a rugby team together. And you know what? They actually are pretty darn competitive. Last season, they went five and five. So they can get in there and, and do some damage to say the least. Uh, again, Infinity Park is awesome. They have a dope arcade if you've never been down there. They have super cheap food, uh, food trucks over by the stadium too. So it's just a super awesome place in general. Highly recommend you go check it out. For Raptors games, you can get tickets absolutely free, which is maybe the best part. You go to AmericanRaptors.com to grab your tickets for free for the upcoming season. And then you can just roll down there and have a great night out for basically $0 if you want to. So 
go check it out. If you want to learn more about rugby, we of course have, of course have Colton Strickler, our rugby guy. You can follow DNVR rugby on Twitter. If you're new to the sport, he has one-on-one pods that'll explain everything to you. So you can learn as you go. We're also brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. So if you want to go bet on some rugby games, DraftKings is the place to do it. Um, I have avoided betting on rugby because it's really hard to follow the top rugby leagues because they play at crazy hours of the day. But you could do that if you wanted to. Of course, you can also go bet on pretty much anything under the sun at this point. If it is a sport or even like tangentially sort of a sport, you can bet on it. I I don't want to get into the argument of whether chess is a sport or not, but you can bet on it. Uh, Do you guys think chess is a sport? It's competition. It's not a sport. I think it's a sport. I mean... Megan, are you taking a side? I don't want to take a side. (laughs) It's it's a competition that uh, requires you to train. You have to be good at it. You have to be skilled. Like, sports are like physical competitions in my head. Because I think of things like card competitions, like Magic the Gathering card competitions where people would sit in rooms and compete against each other and Pokemon. I'm like, are these things also considered sports? They're competitive games. It's competitive gaming. It's a very real thing. So where does something like darts fall? Mm. Because darts require some ability of like physical acumen, right? uh, Yeah. Oof. I don't know. It's a. I, I think that would maybe fall into sport. All right. If you're going with darts as sports, we're not that far from everything else being sports. Just saying. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it takes some hand eye. I, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. That's like a, that's like a bar sport. A bar. So now we got a third category of bar sports. I don't know. Not everything's. Not everything's like a. I don't know. Because like. What about playing Counter Strike? All right, that takes hand-eye coordination. Is that it's a video, video game? Like, yeah, yeah, esports. Yeah. Oh my god! Okay. What, what do you mean? Oh my god! I didn't make that up. I didn't invent. Are esports are esports sports, or should they should, yeah. or should they be called e competitions? They're esports. But are are esports a sport? They're esports. Oh my god! Get out of here. Anyway. Uh, again, again, I didn't. I didn't invent esports. Like, that wasn't me. I didn't come up with that. I know what esports are. I Probably better than everyone else on this podcast. Right. Then why are you asking me what we call but them? Does, do esports fall under sports? They fall under esports. I don't get – there's not a, a sub – esports is the category. Okay. All right. Moving on. That was so weird for you to say you know it better than everyone else, yet you don't know what they're called. That was just a really weird <laughs> flex. <laughs> I know what they're called. And they are a subdivision of sports. You're just wrong about it categorically. Anyway, go over to DraftKings and bet on it. It doesn't matter whether you think it's a sport or not. You can bet on it. So get over there. Use the code DNVR when you sign up for a new account right now. Bet $5 on any college football team and you get $200 in free bets just for doing it. You don't even have to get the bet correct. So get on it today. Again, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the DNVR code to get that $5 for $200 bet opportunity, uh, and you get the, the money instantly. So jump on it. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. 
one per new customer, minimum $5 deposit and wager, $200 issued as eight $25 free bets. Restrictions apply. See terms at DraftKings.com slash sportsbook. Of course, if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. We mainly focused on the Calgary pick there in that draft, but... A very real what if there was what if the Avs did not take Nathan McKinnon at one overall? Yeah, because if they had the sixth pick, they could have just said, hey, we don't think he's the best player in the draft, but we're going to balance this out. We'll take Seth Jones first and then say Sean Monahan sixth, and that guy can be the new center. Definitely an option. Of course, it could have just been something more simple, like they just go with Sasha Barkov. As one overall instead of Nathan McKinnon. Yeah. Could have gone with Jonathan Duran. Yep. The guy who went third. Um, I think uh, Duran pretty clearly would have changed things significantly. Um, yeah. I don't know how much it would be different if you went with Barkov to McKinnon. Uh, Hi. Sorry cool about that. song, bro. <laughs> Ad. It was an ad. We need to. We need to. We need to start having a counter of days. Jesse's phone has not gone off during a pod. It's got to be pretty low. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what all this sudden attack is for me. Rudo asked a question. Now I'm under the microscope. Look, chat tried to raise money for you to buy actual shirts. Oh, I'm like, fine with my shirts. This is a very like, expensive like, shirt, actually. Like, like ones, ones with sleeves on them. I don't know. They're they're obsessed mm. with your arms, bro. Yeah. I don't I know. Every know. day, every day, somebody wants to talk about it. I don't know why. Sleeves all the time, and nobody says anything. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. So, I guess my question would be: Do the Avs? actually accelerate their build and do things actually work out better if it's not Nathan McKinnon because obviously that first rookie year for McKinnon was great but those following three years where you know he was kind of figuring things out and stuck in the middle would we have seen a better couple of years with Sasha Barkov there or could Jonathan Duran have had a better career in Colorado it's so it's so hard to because like everybody likes Barkov, right? And is and is like, oh, Barkov is he's such a good player. He's a two way guy, so well rounded and all that. But if you go and you look at his career, like he had a slow burn too, because yeah. just like Nathan McKinnon, his big offensive breakout came in year five, and it's only been since then that he's been. Uh, a point per game player because before that he just wasn't. I I would argue he was significantly better defensively, certainly at that point compared to McKinnon. Yeah, definitely. So maybe fit a, a second or third line center role a little better than Mac did at the time. But well, and and maybe like what if what if Paul Stasny decides to changes his free agency decision? Because you remember when Stasny left. It was like, well, the O'Reilly, McKinnon, Duchesne are all there. Yeah. Like, Paul, like the writing is on the wall for Paul Stasny to either transition into a wing, which at the time he reportedly wasn't interested in, or playing 3C, which, same. Yeah, so, Ruin instead playing on his wing. Yeah. Right. If it's, if I mean, what if, if it's Barkov, 
Barkov is your 3C because it's a slower burn and he's good defensively. Does that change the, the decision that Paul Stastny makes? Which changes a lot because losing Paul, a guy of Paul Stastny's caliber in his prime hurt them. Like, you just removed that guy from your lineup. That hurt them. They had all the makings of a potentially really, really good two-way line when you talk about a guy like, hey, maybe a, a Landeskog on the right side with Stasny on the left and Barkov in the middle. Like, they had all the makings of that kind of a really good two-way line uh, down the road, but it didn't, you know, which is where with McKinnon, you remember McKinnon started on the wing his rookie year, and then they transitioned him into center, uh, and they played him lower in the lineup until they got to the end of the year, and they were just like, are you serious? Like, the kid's too good. We just got to do this. And then, you know, that Minnesota series was very interesting. Uh but it was it was it was such a slow burn for Barkov that you wonder, like that butterfly effect could could have a big impact on what Stasny did, which would have had a big big impact on other things as well. It's easy to talk about in hindsight too, seeing what we know became of the Avs rebuild after this period. But it's hard for me to imagine any one of these players individually. Um, improving the trajectory of that rebuild because there are so many necessary dominoes that needed to fall outside of this draft class to make it possible. And that came about through coaching changes in the end, you know, with the departure of Patrick Juan bringing in the era of Bednar. And even defensively, this is a time where the avalanche, I didn't have any trust in them being able to develop young defensemen. Um, so I think that someone like Barkov would like laterally have helped the Avs to reach a similar end result, but there were different things that still needed to take place outside of that. Um, and oh, I completely lost my train of thought at the end there, but I, I think you guys get the point where I was going with that. Yeah. Oh, it's McKinnon's attitude too. Someone called it psychosis in the chat, but I was going to joke that he has that dog in him because <laughs> players reference in Nathan McKinnon and it is that drive level of compete that I think is unique to him that I don't think we would have seen in a player like Barkov and had a huge impact on the avalanche identity. McKinnon doesn't just have that dog in him. He is the dog. dog. (laughs) So there's a comment that came in uh, through chat that said uh, with Waz coach, I think any of the, those other players struggle Barkov, Duran Jones. I don't necessarily know if they struggle, but I think that's an interesting point. We have no idea. Oh, oh well, well, no, no. But, but what I was going to say was I think it's an interesting point because obviously Patrick Waugh was a unique uh, coach, dealt with his players in a, in a unique way. And I, you almost do wonder because Nathan McKinnon's got like, he's got that like screw loose in the best kind of way, like kind of the same way that Patrick Waugh does. <laughs> and like, I do wonder if that, it's just, it's an interesting little like subplot there is like, was Nathan McKinnon at that age, the best well-equipped of those players to deal with someone like Patrick Wall? Well, so the other side of this, I think ties in perfectly to what Megan said. The Patrick Wall era to me is, is plastered by this idea of extreme aggression and going out and acquiring veteran players to continue to try and make playoff pushes that weren't super realistic. And certainly, Drew and Barkov McKinnon, none of those guys answer the problem of Patrick Waugh has Brad Stewart. He has <laughs> Nate Gennon. He has Francois Beauchemin. 
playing on his back end and their defense is still just such a huge question mark in that era. And that's where the Seth Jones conversation comes in. Right. That's why it seems so obvious. Like, yeah. wow, this team's this team. We talked about it last week, two weeks ago, where it's like, oh, there's sometimes you're like, oh, really good year to be bad. The whole year, everyone was like, well, at least they'll end up with Seth Jones. At least they'll finally get their defenseman. And it's exactly what you're talking. Like everyone knew that 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 decor was bad, and uh, like it it took a serious serious pair to go up there and not take the defenseman paid off obviously yeah it's easy to say it's all good today no doubt about <laughs> it took a serious pair that three teams had yeah 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 <laughs> yeah yeah um okay so. so we are brought to you by foco you can go over to foco today uh, get all of your sports merch for Colorado sports teams, whether that be obviously the Avs, but you can get Broncos, you can get Nuggets, you can get Rockies, you can get Rapids, you can even get some of the college teams too. So go over there, take a look. They can cover you head to toe, hats, shirts, jerseys, pants, pajama pants, Crocs, flip flops, you name it. They got it all, including collectibles like bobbleheads, things like that. I think they even have like necklaces and, and jewelry and stuff. It, their selection is kind of actually crazy how much different stuff they have. So go to foco.com today. Use code DNVR when you check out to get 10% off your order and get hooked up with a bunch of dope sports merch. Uh, of course, also brought to you by Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. Dozens and dozens of flavors. I think they might actually be up to two dozen flavors at this point with, with the ones that they keep releasing. So they have a flavor for everyone if you want some beer. Go check them out at breckbrew.com. You can find their beer at a local liquor store near you with the Breck Beer Locator online there. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast. Are we good on the Seth Jones conversation or do we want to talk about it more? Good, good, good. Yeah, right. solid. So the other obvious huge moment that stands out in everyone's mind is the Matt Duchesne trade. Uh critical return and something that had to happen beyond just the the trade itself but the i don't want to say the coming together of the locker room but there was certainly you can the, the i don't know if it was that cuz i feel like a significant amount of the locker room was already together but it was a it was a moment that the people who wanted to be in that locker room could plant their flag in uh yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um just without that kind of without that kind of pushback, without the resistance, you know. Yeah. Um just just that it, it was it was kind of like a personality like a vacuum, right? Like it, sure. there was an opening there. And uh that was I think that was an important just an important voice that not so much like I don't want to say important voice that got removed, but what it got replaced with was guys who were all very much of the same mindset. You know, EJ McKinnon, Landis Cog really stepped into the forefront at that point and said, okay, this is, we're going to, we're taking over. Yeah. We're taking over and we're doing this. We're going to do this together and we're going to do this our way. 
And they ended up working with the coaching staff in a way that they previously hadn't. You know, a guy like Tyson Berry was also part of that group uh, back then where they stepped into that and said, okay, we're taking over this and we're, we're ready. Uh, we're, we're, we're ready to try and make this our own. Now we've watched, you know, we've been here and tried to let other people lead and let other people do their thing. Uh, and it hasn't worked for us. So now we're taking over. And, and so I think it was important. I think planting the flag is a good way to put it. And that comment from a wolf, Certainly by the 2017 season, the what if isn't what if Matt Duchesne didn't get traded. He was going to get traded. It yeah. was going to happen. So it's it's more about what if the return was different. They had they had requ- he had because he requested a, a trade uh, in December, right around Christmas of in 2016. 20- yeah, yeah, in in the year be- the season before, it took 11 months for him to get dealt. Yep. Well, I mean. And, and I know it's hard because we're not in the – back then we were in the room to an extent, but, you know, we're not really in that locker room. We don't really know what those relationships are like. Uh, you know, I know Gabe Landeskog and Matt Duchesne, I think, still see each other semi-regularly um, in the offseason and stuff. So, you know, it wasn't all bad, but I just – I always do look at that interview – uh, credit to, you know, AD Dater got that, got that interview in New York. Uh, or got all those interviews right after the game with EJ and, uh, McKinnon and stuff like that. And, and it's the EJ one is the one that I always go back to because you can just tell in the way he's talking, the look on his face that what he's saying is, is raw and it's how he actually felt, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't sugarcoating it. And it's a statement of, Everyone who's in this room wants to be here. And I don't think it's necessarily that Matt Duchesne, you know, hated Denver, didn't want to be with the Avalanche more, but it was time for him to move on. He had put in the trade, the trade request. You know, there was the whole saga in the off season training camp. Was he going to show up? Uh, everyone knew he was going to get traded. And so I do, it was, to me, that, that really was, you know, however we want to put it, you know, like AJ said, a voice left and was replaced by this. However you want to frame it, a page was turned regardless of who came back in the trade. And obviously it's a pretty good return that, that you're happy with now. Um, but th- there, that, that was just the official turning of the page. You could tell by the way the players felt that it was kind of the start of a new, excuse me, new culture. In, in my opinion, in, in addition to players that they got and, 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 you know, new coaching and all that stuff, uh, that to me was the shift in the, in the organizational um, mindset of we're here to win. If you're here, you got to want to be here. You got to want it every day. And, and it's that mindset that I think carried them all the way through six games of the Stanley cup final against the lightning two months ago of, if you're here, you're here to win. You're here to skate. It's getting into the what if side of it. How many times did people think that that trade was done? Yeah. It, it felt like the, it was to the point where even when it was done, we we were making up reasons why it wasn't done. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Blake Como, you know, just got hurt right before Duchesne. And he and Como are close. So maybe Duchesne is just going to check on him. Like legitimately was a thing that people were talking about because 
We thought the Duchesne, I mean, Jesse, how many times <laughs> did we have false starts where you, yep. me, and Dater, we thought that it was done and we were getting ready to go and do an emergency pod somewhere or head to the media school and, and crank out a pod at like some goofy ass, like seven o'clock in the morning or whatever. Right. right. Like, because we thought that this thing, this thing was at the finish line and we were getting ready to, and it fell apart and it kept falling apart and it kept falling apart. And, you know, I mean, I watched, I watched, I I was at the draft that year and, and watched uh, Joe Sackick and Ron Francis shake hands and like, look like they had a deal and it sounded like something was actually going to, was going to go down. And then nothing, just nothing. And it just, it, it was just such a frustrating process. Um, you know, that, that the what if there, and it's, it sucks because we don't have, uh, we don't have as good of information on that, on all of those potential deals as we do on some of the others that have fallen through, uh, in subsequent years, but it really is, it it really is a, a fascinating look back 11 months it took. And, and technically the, the deal that ended up getting done also fell through. Yeah. It was it was Chris McFarlane and I can't think of Ottawa's AGM. Yeah, I can't either. I don't yeah, remember who it was. It doesn't matter. It was Chris McFarlane, the AGM for the Avs at the time, now the GM, and, and the Ottawa AGM, who I believe were at either a junior game or an AHL game. It was an AHL game. AHL game scouting kind of separately and, and essentially, obviously major paraphrasing here, had the conversation of like, okay, we've done this 10 times where we've gotten close and it's fallen through. Let's just get this done. And so to that point, even the eventual deal that got done actually fell through at one point before having to be like scraped back together in the 11th hour. Um, yeah, just a, a, that was one of the crazier sagas that, that I've ever seen, you know, in my time watching hockey. So frustrating. Let alone covering. Um, that was... And then, you know, was he going to show up for training camp and, and all this? It, it was just... It was well, just and then so he did. And remember, he didn't talk to the media the first two days of camp. Media yep. day, yeah. Or, yeah, first day. Yeah. Well, he didn't talk. He didn't... So he spoke at, at media day where he came out and he said... That's right. That's I'm not doing I'm, this. Yeah. I'm just... Like, it was it was like a hockey version. Honor my contract, yeah. Yeah, it was a hockey version. I'm just here so I don't get fined. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's funny, you know, because for a while there, things like Hamannick in a second became a meme in the internet abs culture, just because of how many different things were getting thrown around on what Matt Duchesne is going to get moved for. Well, I mean, how many times did we we see and hear, oh, they've overplayed their hand. He has no more trade value. They've lost their leverage. They're going to get nothing. It's going to, it's going to be Hamannick in a second. And that was part of the reason why. (laughs) <laughs> like AJ said, when that trade came in, we were looking at it like, it, is this real? They got all of this? Like, they got all of this? And it was... The yeah. way it broke, too, is like, oh, so there's a third team involved, and you don't really know which players are going to which team, and it's like... And it turned out work. all the players were going to the abs, except yeah. Kyle Turris and Magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and then yeah. it's 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 sad to look back at now because basically all that's become of that deal is Gerard and Byram. Yep. 
mm-hmm. all that's become like right. like that's like oh, oh no, no two, a top four D and a top four D two, <laughs> two of two of your top four defensemen on the league's best defense is what you got oh no not that but like you remember they got seven like famously got seven pieces for one yeah and right well, now it looks like with Bowers as far away from the NHL as he was the day he got traded for uh, and. Um, the only other, the only other piece uh, at this point that, sorry, Megan, the only I other throw some respect on that man's name. I, you know how I feel. Uh, the only other piece that we're still really having a big question mark on that is, I believe, Matt Steinberg. Yeah. Well, wait, who re- you cut out, Megan? Who put respect on whose name? Eustace. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. All right, I thought that was what you. Said. Yeah, uh, that was a subsequent deal. Well, the like the day the deal got done. My thoughts were like, okay, so the guy who's going to come in and make the most immediate impact is Kamenev. Right. Well, it, you know. he looked like he was going to, and then he got blown up immediately. And there was he, an impact. He had, he had impact in that first game for sure. <laughs> not in the way you want. Megan, yeah. uh, I'm curious on your perspective on this deal. Well, it's you look at Byram and you look at Gerard, and it's paid for itself. The other parts of that that have not pinned out like Shane Bowers is disappointing, but it's more than made up for itself in, in the return. And I think, too, about how the dividends, this is such a complicated trade, it's hard to imagine how the return could have looked any differently because there are so many things that came back to the abs as a result of it. It's almost impossible for me to imagine how it could have played out differently, but it, it, just, it was a very fortunate return for the abs. I will say, had you told me at the time of the trade, if you were a fortune teller and you would say, this trade is going to bring you two of the top four defensemen on a Stanley Cup winning team, I would have been like, bitch, say what? And wouldn't have believed you. And it would have been, you know, I would have been like, no, that's not true. But it's weird to look back on now and feel like, it almost feels like a like a slight missed opportunity just because they got so much for it. Well, it's you know before this last season when Matt Duchesne finally like I don't know if I want to use the term broke out. He's thirty. He's thirty one. But you know had a, had a big career year, forty goals, all that stuff. Before this year, especially the last couple that Duchesne had in Nashville, like, I don't know if you're trading Sam Gerrard or Bowen Byram one for one for that guy. Like, yeah, after this past year, he had this conversation, and, I'm sure, for a guy like Gerrard. The, the crazy part is Duchesne was the good side of it. Kyle Turris was a fucking disaster <sighs> in Nashville. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that's that's a great point, too. And, like, so literally, they, they gave a division rival a top four defenseman on a Stanley Cup winning team for Kyle Turris. Like, oh, that's rough asset management, man. Yeah. Poyle uh, just got to stick to signing those crazy good contracts and not strikes trading again, for people. Again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but like you said, there, there was enough enough players in that that seemed really high upside that, yeah, I can feel a little disappointing um, that only two. And I, you know what? I'm going to count Andrew Hammond. That was a sick game. That he gave the abs. That was a sick game. Um, Singular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, but uh, if Bowen Byram kind of keeps progressing the way that you hope, man, if, if there was only two of those guys you could hit on, I guess you're happy he's one of them. Yeah, it's it's so hard to do these what ifs, especially like Megan said, as a trade like that. Even if one piece and that nine piece trade changes, it's just the world is so wildly different <laughs> that you never even know what could possibly have happened. Well, and then it does create a giant trade tree, as as yeah, uh, Megan was mentioning with Onaden because. The second round pick they got from Nashville was the piece they that they traded it back. Yeah, they traded down with Pittsburgh. They used the two picks that they got. They got a third and a fifth. They drafted Ondanen and Danilo Zhiravilov. Yep, we're both Eagles this year. Uh, and the guy that that was drafted with that pick was Philip Hollander, who's In the only NHL. just came to North America and had and he had like a it, it was a fine rookie year in the AHL. Yeah. But it wasn't, you know, right right now it looks like that was a, a second move that they made with those assets that has gone well for them. Well, and, you know, more than likely the, the spiral out is far from done on that trade tree as it's, other pieces continue to move. But It's weird that it is as limited as it is. Sure. Um, because like the, the deal to Columbus from Ottawa with, uh, with Duchesne, he ended up going like, to free agency. Yeah. Yeah. Like kind of, kind of kept that thing going, but from Colorado side, it's just like, it's, it's Gerard, it's Byram, uh, Bowers is still there. And then Steinberg is still there. Like Kamenev didn't turn anything and he's in the KHL and Hammond just left. And so yep. it was like some parts of these are already just like cut off. Yeah, but plenty of time left for that to continue. Not that the AB should trade any of those guys, but yeah, right. Happen. And you know, if you if you satiate the trade Gerard people, then it, it it continues to spiral. Yep. So who knows? Uh, any other things you guys want to touch on, or any final thoughts and in, in some key moments that. I think probably don't get talked about enough given that the ads just want to stand like up. Yeah. I mean, obviously the two draft lottos that they lose. Sure. Um, we just talked about Bowen Byram. If Bowen Byram is Jack Hughes, that's a huge domino effect because they don't have Byram, but then they have Jack Hughes. If they have Jack Hughes, do they trade for Nazem Kadri? They don't trade for Nazem Kadri. What do they do with Tyson Berry who yeah. was getting traded that year? What do they what do they do? Do they do they still do the Kadri deal but not the Burakovsky deal? Do they do do they does everything stay the exact same except they just add Jack Hughes to that team? <laughs> like what what is the you know, does Jack Hughes go and play a year of college instead hockey? Of graduating right away, yeah. Instead of just making that jump where the abs are like, we don't have to rush you unlike other teams in these situations. You can just go to college for a year and go do, you know, go like go destroy Wisconsin or something, I mean, you know, whatever, wherever he that, would. I, I don't even know if he had a college commitment. That question is twofold, right? What if Ottawa gives them the other fourth and they yep. end up with Brady Kachuk? Yeah, because that is I have I have dug around 
for the last couple of years trying to figure it out and trying to get like I am led to believe, strongly led to believe that Brady Kachuk is the answer as to that question of who would they have taken. Because I remember at the time it was a lot of Brady Kachuk or Philip Zadina. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I had it such that they were lower on Zadina than the public was. And so it definitely wouldn't have been him. And it was very likely Brady Kachuk. And if it was not Brady Kachuk, I don't know who the other guy would have been, but it would not have been Zadina. So anyway, I'm, it would have been Brady Kachuk. So with the, cause with the option that they had there, look, Brady, Brady Kachuk in a, in a lineup with Gabe Landeskog, you know, if, if that happens again, like you probably, how much does this change history? Because you probably don't, do certainly I would say the Lekkonen deal. Do you give yeah. do you give Val Nachushkin a top six look if you have Landeskog and Brady Kachuk and Miko Rantanen and Andre Burakovsky? Yeah, I mean it's kind of like pick one of those winger deals, right? That probably doesn't get done. You know, obviously the, the timeline gets completely screwed up, but they just wouldn't have had the room for all of those guys to really get in there and, and become who they have. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, 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 it's really tough to, to see that. And, and on the other side of that, what does their defense look like? Do they actively go out and target different defenders because they don't have a Byram? Right. Well, and, and, how much does that change the 56 uh, how much does that change the 56 game season because if they don't have Byram then they don't have Byram on the roster they're not messing with is he going to be on the team is he not going to be on the team they aren't planning on him being on the roster so maybe they keep us the door off and don't make a the Brandon sure. Sod move you know yeah like you don't you don't know what they would have done on the back end where Byram just wasn't there because they were planning on Byron being available. And then when he got hurt, that takes that off the board. Uh, and so we're like, oh, we know what it looks like without Byron. But that was because he was hurt, not because he just was never part of the org or hadn't turned pro or whatever. So what what does that change if, if Byron's not in the organization? Yep. The other, uh, the other fourth overall pick, I refuse to think about it going any other way. At this point. Same. <laughs> Same. Look, if they would have gotten first, they would have taken Nolan Patrick, and it would have been a huge problem. Yep. And that's all there is to it. It would have it would have lit that pick on fire, and then wherever Kale McCarr is destroying everything, we would feel like Flyers fans feel every day when they when they wake up, being like the best part of our organization is our fucking mascot. <laughs> They'd have had to bring back Howler for that to be true, though. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, even even at that point. Well, thankfully things didn't go that way. We are going to wrap this one up. We appreciate all y'all hanging out with us. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with some kind of fun show. Not sure exactly Free Skate Friday style. We'll 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 catch you there. But hope y'all enjoyed. Be sure to like and subscribe here on YouTube. That helps us out a ton. We appreciate all of you, and we will talk to you on the next one.